Good morning. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good Wednesday morning. Beautiful sunny day in the Flower City. And uh, if you're a Bills fan, 4-2 going into the bye. We'll start there. 4-2 going into the bye. That is a good thing. Remember that. We'll we'll get to Monday night's game in a few seconds. Lot to talk about in the NFL as per usual. NBA opened up last night. I'm actually going to speak well of the Sabres. I pretty much have to. And the baseball playoffs, if you've been paying attention, have been fantastic. Yesterday, a great day of baseball. Tonight, we get, or today, I should say, we get two more games. So, really good stuff there. A lot going on. Let's start with Monday night. And, and the big question, I, I guess we start at the end with Monday night's game. Sean McDermott faced with a decision, fourth in about six inches. Uh, do you go for it at the two-yard line with 22 seconds left, or do you kick a field goal and play for overtime? You're, you're the better team. You're on the road. What do you do? There are a lot of factors to look at there. Personally, I would have kicked it. I, I absolutely would have kicked it there. You can't lose the game on that down. Tyler Bass has been really good. He had three more field goals, and that may be a sign that the Bills aren't getting it done in the red zone, and that has been a problem. They've been to the red zone more than any other team in the league this year, but they haven't converted as often as they would. And I think that's a problem with this roster much more so than maybe quarterback play or or play calling. A lot of people were very down on the play call that McDermott had. And it wasn't McDermott. It, it was a combination of McDermott and Brian Dable making that decision. Josh Allen has been very good as a quarterback sneaker. Some quarterbacks are good at it. Some are not. Brady's been fantastic. But in this case, Josh just wasn't able to get the footing. Deion Dawkins got blown up by Jeffrey Simmons, and the Bills weren't able to get it. It, it, You know, it's funny how social media after a game, you start to read Twitter, and you got idiots saying, well, it's because Tannehill outplayed Josh Allen. No, no. Tannehill was very good in the fourth quarter, and he was 9-for-9 in the fourth quarter and seemed to remember that A.J. Brown was actually on his team for the first time all year. But Josh Allen played a very good game. He did have a pick, which he was hit when he threw. Spencer Brown just got beaten off the edge, and it's one of those, you're going to have a rookie right tackle, you're going to have mistakes. That was one of them. It cost the team. Tannehill also had a pick. Anyone who saw that game and thought Tannehill outplayed Josh Allen should stop commenting on football immediately. The other thing you heard a lot of was, well, the ref screwed him. That that spot was terrible. The spot I thought was right where it should have been. And this is, we're talking about the third down play where Josh, great effort to try and pick up the first down. Ball goes out of bounds, which stops the clock, and I thought that was pertinent for what is going to be part of this discussion as well. But the spot was right on. Initially ruled the first down, and then the NFL overruled it and moved it back. Look, we're seeing this now more and more as the season goes along. The discussions between officials when they throw a flag, and Monday night was was a big part of it, taking forever. Well, the reason they're taking forever is because NFL officials are in their ear watching the game, telling them what they want to do. For years, Mike Pereira, who was the former head of NFL officiating, you see him on Fox all the time discussing plays, Mike Pereira has advocated for a sky judge to be part of every officiating crew. In other words, you have your crew on the field and one more official up in the booth watching the games. At any point during the game, according to Pereira's plan, the sky judge can send down information to the guys on the field to either call a penalty, pick up a flag, change a spot, whatever the case may be. 
basically eliminating the challenge system that is in place and unfortunately is not nearly as effective. So now we have this hybrid of a sky judge. You don't have a sky judge there. You have people in New York watching the game. So the sky judge who's watching one game on a Monday night or a Sunday night is going to be far more impactful than a guy who's watching several games at 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. It doesn't make sense. It's not even officiating. Unless you've got... One guy assigned to each game or multiple people assigned to each game, you're not going to get the same input from the sky judge the way the NFL is doing it now than you would if there were. It's it's just a fact of um, the way it is. If you are watching several games at once, you're not going to pick up on everything. If you're watching one game, it's as if you're officiating that game. And that's the way it should be with Pereira's plan. And Pereira's point is is perfect, in my opinion. There should be a sky judge. The NFL is trying to do this hybrid thing, and they're changing rulings on the field on the fly. People were very upset that this spot wasn't reviewed, and the Bills weren't given an opportunity to have it reviewed. Well, the reality is it was reviewed. It was reviewed under this new system where there's not a stoppage in play. The review got it right. It shouldn't have been a first down. It was clearly short based on camera angles, which happened to be really good because they were right on the yardstick. So I thought the NFL actually handled it right, although I think they're handling this situation Wrong. I think they need a sky judge at every game. But again, you'll see it much more on a Sunday night and a Monday night because there's only one game going on. They can focus better on that. So they got the spot right. And here's where Sean McDermott did something that, again, I, I you watch him at the end of games. He is not good with timeouts. When to call them, when to let the play run, when to not call them. Think about the way things transpired. The ball goes out of bounds, so the clock stops. There's 22 seconds left in the game. The Bills then call a timeout. Why did you call a timeout? Their second timeout, by the way. The first timeout they called with the clock running when you want to make sure you have the last possession. So I didn't like the first timeout either. But as it turns out, it probably saved the Bills in this situation because the 22 seconds that were left were saved by that first timeout. There probably would have only been about 10 seconds left, and maybe it changes how you evaluate whether or not you're going to go for the first down or not. So McDermott calls and wastes a timeout earlier in the drive, calls a timeout and wastes a timeout here. Now think about this. If you have your three timeouts left with 15 seconds left, The quarterback, who's now, when the Bills don't convert, the quarterback has to either take a knee or quarterback sneak from the one-yard line. I don't even think you take a chance of giving it to Derrick Henry. Quick timeout. And then there's a punt. And depending on where that punt ends up, if it's caught in the air, you can get a free kick, a fair catch, free kick, a play you don't see very often, but probable. And the Bills have a chance to tie it there. Or... They take over and and can kick a a traditional field goal, depending on where it's from. So they would have had actually another chance. If McDermott manages his timeouts better, they have another chance because they have three timeouts left. Tennessee has the ball at the two-yard line, and there's 15 seconds left. Because if you spike it instead of calling the timeout earlier in the drive, you're talking about a seven-second disparity. Is Tennessee willing to take a safety at that point? It's a three-point game. Maybe they take a safety on third down and kick it, which the Bills would probably then get it for one play. They'd have a timeout left. One play, timeout, Tyler Bass kick. So there's more opportunities if McDermott manages his timeouts properly. Point I haven't heard anyone make up. Look, Deion Dawkins has got to do a better job in that play call. I said I would have kicked it there because you're at the two-yard line. If Josh 
doesn't if it, say he picks up the first down, doesn't score the touchdown. What do you do then? Line up and spike it. So now you've got ten seconds left. You still got a timeout in your pocket. You're only looking at one more play to get to the end zone. This to me was why I would have kicked the field goal. But let's talk about the play call, the quarterback sneak. Is that the right play call? Well, unfortunately, this Bills team doesn't have a power running back, and Zach Moss isn't there yet. He's a good young back, and if he's your backup running back, I think you've got a good situation. I liked Singletary much better, and I don't think they give him the ball enough. But down on the goal line, I don't think he's the guy you give the ball to there either. But the real problem, in my opinion, with the Bills and the makeup of the team isn't the running back, it's the three interior offensive linemen. Look, Deion Dawkins is fine uh, as a left tackle. In spite of him getting blown up on that last play, he's actually been really good this year. Spencer Brown is a rookie and he's going to make mistakes. I talked about the interception. He's going to get beat that way. But he played really well again Monday night. And, And as a rookie... You're looking at your right tackle going, wow, we've really got something here. Daryl Williams has struggled since being moved into guard, into the guard position. That said, he's a much better option than either Cody Ford or Ike Boker. Neither of those guys are starting guards in the league. And Cody Ford, this should be his last year as a member of the Bills. Former second-round pick that did not pan out. John Feliciano is somebody who's very good at times in in the run block game, but the pass blocking, he struggles a little bit. And at center, Mitch Morse is just, in my opinion, an overpaid player. Now, look, the Bills' offensive line is okay. I don't think it's as good as others think it is. But the one thing it isn't is a powerful run-blocking offensive line. And down at the goal line and in the red area, you need a powerful run-blocking offensive line. Area of upgrade going into this offseason. Both, well, Morse, in my opinion, is going to be somebody who is going to be moved on after this year. McDermott was all about giving the ball to Josh Allen, and he would do it 10 out of 10 times. And I respect that, and I love that. And that's part of the culture that McDermott brings to this team. Would you rather, though, Josh Allen's rolling out and could possibly use his athleticism to run the ball in or possibly throw it? Remember Dawson Knox out of the game? He had broken his hand a couple plays before the Buffalo special two-point conversion. There's just got to be a better option for the Bills in the red area. And it's all about the run game, and it's all about the interior of the offensive line. Here's the other part. If you give the ball back to Tennessee in overtime, which is a 50-50 proposition because you're going to have a coin toss to determine who gets it, I don't think you stop Derrick Henry. The longer the game goes, the better that guy gets. He had 20 carries for 143 yards. A 76-yard touchdown was one of them. So if you take that out of the mix, the other 19 carries only went for about 73 yards. But because of his effectiveness, you're looking at Ryan Tannehill. And again, I mentioned it, 9 of 9 in the fourth quarter. So I think all of those things play into McDermott's decision to go for it. I just thought the plays leading up to the actual play, in other words, the bad usage of timeouts, were a factor in this situation. And McDermott, traditionally, you know, waste de- defensive timeouts or call timeouts on defense. He's a defensive coordinator. He wants his defense to be right. The other side of the coin is he's not good and has never been good with clock management. Look, he's not Mike McCarthy bad. Then again, nobody is. That guy's it's amazing how bad he is. I'll get to that game in a few minutes. But McDermott wastes timeouts. He doesn't value them. And, and again, on Monday, if the Bills have three timeouts, when Josh Allen is stopped, they're going to have to force Tennessee to punt. They get another chance. They didn't because McDermott wasted timeouts. So it's a bad, bad coaching job there. 
I don't think going for it is a bad coaching job. In my opinion, I I, I kick it. I, I try to get the ball in, in overtime and put my hands, put the hands of Josh Allen, let Josh win the game. I, I think he brings them down for a touchdown. They win the game. Very similar to what we saw with Dallas on Sunday against New England. But it didn't happen. For the game, Allen threw for 353, had a touchdown, the one pick where he was hit. He had nine rushes for 26 yards. Tennessee, this needs to be said too. Going into this game, and, and I talked about this last week and I've talked about it all year. This was a game I expected the Bills to lose because it's a bad matchup for them. The Bills can do one of two things. Generally, they're better against the pass than they are against the run. So if a team can only run the ball, which there aren't many of those teams in the NFL, most teams that can run it can also pass. But if you look at the Bills, like against Kansas City, Kansas City cannot run the ball. So therefore, the pass play is all the Bills have to worry about. They're much better against the pass than they are against the run. They're not a big physical defensive front. And I think looking at this game, going back and looking at it, Josh Allen was hit nine times. He was sacked three times. Ryan Tannehill was hit twice all night. Zero sacks for the Bills. You want to look at a deficiency and a reason that the Bills didn't get this done? It's because that vaunted defensive line where more resources has been spent than any other part of the team as was terrible on Monday night. They were not good. They got blown up in the running game. They got pushed around by a bad offensive line by Tennessee and didn't pressure Ryan Tannehill except two times. Cannot happen. Absolutely cannot happen. The Bills had only four tackles for loss. And again, when you have Derrick Henry on the other side, you're going to go about things differently. And the Bills did. A.J. Epinenza wasn't active. Vernon Butler wasn't active. By the way, Vernon Butler, I I had said before the season started, the Bills should move on from his salary. It's $7 million dressed like you and I watching the the game the other night. A second-round draft pick in A.J. Epinenza watching the game. Boogie Basham, a second-round pick this year, had been watching the game. So, We love Brandon Bean. We love the way he's built this roster. He is far from perfect. Cody Ford was a miss in the second round. Boogie Basham and A.J. Epinenza have been good at times this year. But if you're inactive and you're a second-round pick, that's a red flag to me. It really is. And if you're paid $7 million and you're inactive, that's a waste of $7 million. Cut Vernon Butler. Trade him. Move on from him. If you're not going to use him. So there's some issues up front for the Buffalo Bills when it comes to being a physical run-stop team. Now, fortunately for the Bills, there aren't a ton of teams that can be multiple and run it as well as they do. You look in the AFC, you've got Tennessee. Obviously, they're going to be able to run it all day with Derrick Henry. And Tannehill's very effective. The Ravens. Whether it be Latavius Murray or now Le'Veon Bell's been activated. They're brought from the practice squad to the 53-man roster. Bell, Murray, Lamar Jackson, they're going to run it. And they can throw it very well, too. The Chargers generally can run it pretty good with Austin Eckler. And, of course, Justin Herbert. I think Cincinnati, who's now 4-2, and two, is going to be a problem if the Bills have to face them. Because Joe Mixon... Can, can run it pretty well behind a bad offensive line, but yet Joe Burrow's fantastic. So there's a problem there. The Browns are all banged up, but that would be a bad matchup for the Bills. In the NFC, there's two teams that can be multiple. The Cowboys, who are better when they run it, and the Packers, who everyone focuses on one Aaron Rodgers, but the Aaron Jones factor is what I think will make them very dangerous Come playoff t- team, playoff time. They're a team that can be very good on the ground. So, yes, this was a problem Monday night. It, it is a problem going forward that the Bills can't do both, but I don't think they have to much of the time. It's all about matchups. Tennessee is a bad matchup for them. 
Singletary and Moss combined for 51 yards. It's just not enough. The Bills have got to figure out a way to be like the teams that I just mentioned. If you stack the box, I'm going to throw it. If you don't, I'm going to run it. And the Bills can't do that right now. They they run it here and there, but they're just not strong enough running the football. And I really think Josh Allen needs help to get to the next level. And that's Super Bowl champion. We're going from AFC championship game to Super Bowl champion. We're lofty expectations. But again, that's the point. You're trying to improve. And where do you improve? You've got to improve the running game going forward. And I don't see it happening this year, unfortunately. I think it's one of those things that in the offseason, the offensive line will be tweaked. And I think it's time to figure out a way to take some pressure off of Josh Allen. Stefan Diggs was real good on Monday night. Nine for 89. Cole Beasley, welcome back, had seven for 88. Both Diggs and Beasley had touchdowns in the game. Emmanuel Sanders continued his strong play, five for 91. The beauty of the Bills' pass game is the ability to spread it out and throw it around. Dawson Knox, who had two TDs the previous game, he had the Buffalo special with a broken hand. High school quarterback, threw a shot put to a wide-open Josh Allen for the two-point conversion. It's interesting. You get down to that play, and you go for the two-point conversion. And, you know, there's always a play you have as an offensive coordinator. When you need something, there's always that play. And going back to the fourth-and-one discussion, you need that play, right? You need to pick it up. What do you do? You quarterback sneak. Just very interesting. And remember this, that if the Bills do pick up the first down, it's not likely going to be a touchdown. So you still really haven't accomplished anything, and that's, again, why I would have kicked it. If you were fourth and six inches from the goal line, different story. But at the two-yard line, you're not going to quarterback sneak two and a half yards. And I know Josh Allen has in the past. But this is one of those, there's nothing to worry about down the field. I would have loved to see a play-action rollout. If if I'm calling the plays, play-action rollout, look for something, and if not, have Josh turn it up and see what he can get. You saw the play before, similar play. He gave max effort, tried to jump over guys to get in. And that's what this team will always love about Josh Allen, the effort. So a lot of things didn't go right. And here we're talking about Tennessee, a good team and a bad matchup. And this is a positive sign. All of the things that didn't go right that I just talked about. Yet the Bills have the ball at the end of the game with a chance to win it. That shows how good they are. Even though they didn't get that win, it's one of those things where they had a chance late and it was there for the taking, but they weren't able to pick up the win. That's a sign of a very good football team. Bills now going to the bye week at 4-2, and and I found this interesting, and I had forgotten that last year, the week before the bye, the game before the bye, was a DeAndre Hopkins Hail Mary. I forgot about that. And the Bills came out and basically ran to the t- ran the table right up to the AFC Championship game. I don't expect them to run the table this year simply because they've got 11 more games. And if they're going to win all 11 and go 15-2, and two, I think that would be a stretch. That said, the schedule for the rest of the year, the next four, Miami and Buffalo, that should be a win for the Bills. The Dolphins just not playing well at all. They had a loss across the pond to Jacksonville. Then the Jags in Jacksonville. That certainly should be a win. The Jets in New York got to be a win there. And then Indy in Buffalo. And Indy found a little something on Sunday. But that's 8-2 and two at that point. I-, I predicted the Bills would be 3-3 three and three at the bye. They're four and two. I also predicted that they'd win either 12 or 13 games. So I expected this second half run. The Bills have have four games left against the NFC South. And if you think of that division, New Orleans, 
very up and down. And with Jameis Winston, you don't know what to expect. Not really good. Carolina, Sam Darnold looks like Sam Darnold. It's just not been great there. They're not a very good team. It's a game the Bills should win nine out of ten times. Atlanta isn't good at all. Yes, they got a win in London a couple weeks ago against the Jets, but that's not a good football team. The Bills win that 10 out of 10. And then the one game that they will struggle with, I think, the second half of the season is Tampa Bay. Tampa, obviously with Brady, very good. If they can get healthy and remain healthy and keep Brady upright, that's going to be a tough one for the Bills. But then the Bills have five games left in division. Two against New England, and New England's okay, but the Bills should beat them twice, home and home. Absolutely. Two against the Jets, that, that's a no-brainer. Jets are one of the worst teams in the league. And the Miami game. So there's five in-division wins right there. And the only games outside of the NFC South and the AFC East are Indian Jacksonville. So the Bills' schedule for the rest of the year If they don't end up with 13 wins, I think this is something has gone wrong in the second half of the season. So certainly a lot to talk about with the Bills. A few things that the Bills did on Monday night I liked. A few I didn't. Tremaine Edmonds I thought played very well. He, I thought, was the best defender on the field for the Bills. Jordan Poyer had a pick. He played well. Micah Hyde took a bad route on the long touchdown run by Henry. Just didn't take the proper angle. I think Henry's speed surprised Micah Hyde, and that caused that. So the Bills, a tough loss, now the bye, and it's not something to get overly concerned about. It just is what it is. The rest of the NFL, last Thursday night, Tampa Philly, I was intrigued by this game because Tom Brady at 44 years old, how does he play on three days rest? It's a big ask for a 44-year-old guy to get ready to go after only a couple days rest. Well, 297 yards and two touchdowns. He did throw a pick, but they just continue to to, to amaze. And Brady at 44, I, I just I, I don't see the end coming. I really don't. He, I always felt he would fall off a cliff and then retire. He's going to walk away at the top of his game. He really is. And I don't know when he's going to retire, if he's going to retire at the end of this year. And you see the quote there, when I suck, I'll retire. Yeah, dude always said he's going to play to 45. He might play to 50. Because other than his dye job on his hair, nothing has changed with that guy. He's just that good. The Jags, I mentioned it, get a win, and this is a good win for Jacksonville. Urban Meyer needed this badly. He needed a lot more than he needed the lap dance he got from the college girl in, in, in Columbus. Good to see Trevor Lawrence get to win. Trevor Lawrence is going to be really good, and I know people are going to freak out every time they look at his stats. I said this about Trevor Lawrence. Peyton Manning's rookie year and Trevor Lawrence's rookie year are the things to compare. Remember, Peyton Manning threw 27 interceptions as a rookie. Trevor Lawrence is going to be fine. There's so much talent there. There's so much leadership. There is a lot to like about this guy. For the Jags, it was just good to see them get a win after everything that's gone on. The most surprising game of the weekend to me was the Ravens and Chargers game. I'm done being surprised by Lamar Jackson. The dude is one of the top three or four quarterbacks and players in the league. Yes, he can run it. Yes, he can throw it. But what surprised me on Sunday wasn't Lamar. It was the Ravens' defense and what they did to Justin Herbert. I don't know if they confused him or just pressured him or a combination of the two, but Herbert had one of his worst games as a pro, and the Ravens' defense in a 34-6 win was stifling. Great job by the Ravens defense. Right now, the Ravens, in my opinion, best team in the AFC. They're more consistent offensively and defensively, I think, than the Bills. The Vikings beat the Panthers 34-28. Remember when the Panthers were 3-0? and 
Yeah, Denver, the Jets, and some other bad team that I don't remember. Sam Darnold was terrible on Sunday. It had less than 50% completion percentage, 200 yards, TD, and a pick. He's not the answer. He's absolutely not the answer. Sam Darnold's going to be a guy who's he's going to be Mitch Trubisky in a couple of years. He'll be wearing a hat backward on the sideline, carrying a clipboard. If he's your backup, you're in very good shape at the quarterback position. If he's your starter, you got to be looking for a quarterback. The Panthers really like Matt Rule, like what he's doing. He's got to get a better quarterback. And I got to give some love to Kirk Cousins. And another really good game on Sunday 373 yards, three touchdowns. Dalvin Cook was back, had 140 yards and a touchdown. They now get a bye. Cook gets healthy. Watch the Vikings going on a run here. Packers beat the Bears and everyone talking about Aaron Rodgers. I own you. I've always owned you. I still own you. Man, how about that lady who flipped him the double bird? How come she hasn't been outed? You know, lady, you caused Aaron Rodgers to lose his mind. My favorite part about the Aaron Rodgers situation, you're seeing the double bird being flipped right there that caused Rodgers to react that way. My favorite part about Aaron Rodgers this year is when... All of this stuff was going on this summer. Colin Cowherd, who has about three storylines that he continues to to rehash. Cowherd, who is a national host for Fox, he continues to bash Baker Mayfield. He continues to bash Russell Westbrook. And he bashed Aaron Rodgers all summer because Aaron Rodgers doesn't care. Yet, We're seeing Aaron Rodgers play with about as much heart and emotion as we've ever seen Rodgers play with. Oh, yeah. Couple that with the fact he's still, I think, one of the two best quarterbacks in the game. It's just amazing how wrong Colin Cowherd was about Aaron Rodgers. And yet he still gets... I'm going to be on going a bit of a rant about national hosts who don't know what they're talking about, but stay tuned. Cincinnati beat the Lions, and Detroit's not very good. <laughs> That's water is wet analogy. But Cincinnati at 4-2 and two all of a sudden. Burrow continues to take strides forward. Joe Mixon's very good. I still don't like him, but he's very good. And that offensive line that's not been very good seems to be getting better. T. Higgins is back for Cincy, so now they have three very good wide receivers. Keep an eye on the Bengals. I think they're a dark horse to make the playoffs, and if they get in, they're dangerous. Hasn't been good in Cincinnati for a long, long time, but if you fix the quarterback position, a lot of good things can happen. Indy gets back on the winning ways, and you know, this is one of those. They play Houston, so it's like having a bye week. If you play Houston, you get a bye week. It's just the way it is. Houston's a mess. They still don't know what to do with Deshaun Watson. They still have David Culley, who's over his head as an NFL head coach. They don't have much talent. But Indy remembered that they have Jonathan Taylor and a pretty good offensive line, even though they've got injuries up there. Taylor had 140 yards. Run the ball more, Indy, and help that defense out. I think you'll find good things. In the preseason, the New York media was talking about the Giants being a playoff team. And every time I heard that and read that, I thought, what are they seeing that I'm not? The defense is okay. The offense is okay. But both lines of scrimmage aren't very good. Joe Judge, I still don't know about. Yeah, well, the Giants are 1-5. in five. They're a mess. And the Mara family is breaking or throwing garbage cans after losses. So... I'm guessing it's time to hit the reset button again. Dave Gettleman will be out. You're going to likely have a new coach coming soon after. Maybe Joe Judge gets a third year, first year under a new new GM, possibly. But yeah, this team is bad. And and the one bright spot from the Dallas game two weeks ago was Kadarius Toney. He gets hurt halfway through the first quarter and misses the rest of the game. So it's been injuries. It's been bad play, uninspired play. 
it looks like this could get real ugly in New York going forward. And as much as I want to say Daniel Jones isn't the guy and they need to replace him, remember, this isn't a draft where the quarterback is going to be there like last year to take at the top of the draft. There'll be somebody taken very highly, but it's going to be a reach, not a surefire quarterback like we've seen over the last couple of years. Kansas City gets a big win on the road against Washington. Patrick Mahomes had one of the worst interceptions of his career, threw for almost 402 touchdowns. Look, Kansas City's going to be fine. Everyone wants them to be perfect all the time. It's not going to happen. They've got injuries. The offensive line isn't good. Chris Jones still not playing. When he comes back, Clyde Edwards-Alaire comes back, they'll be just fine, and they're still going to be a factor before this season's out. Oh, yeah, and Patrick Mahomes, stop trying to talk about this guy not being the best quarterback in the league. He is. He's going through a bit of a slump. But who would you take over Patrick Mahomes if you were starting a team today? There's not one player in the league I would take over Mahomes. He's that good. Arizona's still undefeated. They they whooped up on the Browns. This was an impressive win. They go into Cleveland. Now, look, Cleveland's gutted. Both tackles are out. Chubb didn't play. Kareem Hunt got hurt. He's going to miss several weeks. Baker, his shoulder. I, I, I know that Cleveland is banged up. But defensively, they're really not. And that defense... Gave up 47, I think, the week before to the Chargers. Gives up 37 to Kyler Murray in in Arizona. They were without their coach, Cliff Kingsbury, who has COVID. A lot of reasons why this should have been a closer game than it was. Man, Arizona's really good, A. B, Cleveland has got to get healthy. It's a talented roster. I think they'll be there, and I think they're a playoff team. But the way Cincinnati's playing... Keep your eye on that. With the the division, the AFC North being, in my opinion, Baltimore's to lose. The Steelers, I'm not sure about. I'll get to them in a second. But Cincinnati and Cleveland, I think, will take one spot. Right now, I think Cincinnati's a better football team. They don't have a better roster, but I think they're a better football team. And Odell Beckham, it's one of those things that's just not working. Get a fifth-round pick for that guy and move on. Trade him to Miami. Let him go down there and play with Tua, Waddle. I, I Just move on from the guy. It, it's not helping your team. The Raiders, remember last week the big story? Gruden's gone. Yeah, well, they went out and whooped up on Denver. Vic Fangio will be out of work after this year I mean, in the Broncos. They're a talented defensive team. They've got good skill positions. However, it's just not there for the Broncos. The Raiders, really good outing for Derek Carr. Played very well, 347. And Henry Ruggs, remember when everyone said he he wasn't going to be very good in the NFL? He was great at Bama, but Raiders reached on him. He's turning into a consistent playmaker. He's probably the second fastest player in the league behind Tyree Kill, but he's doing a lot of the same things. He's not Tyree Kill. He's not as good, but man, he is dangerous. And every week now, it seems you're seeing a big play out of Henry Ruggs. And think about that. You're seeing that most snaps reaching 20 miles an hour this year. He's got 11 snaps where he's got to 20 miles an hour. Tyreek Hill only has eight. The surprising thing to me is the third name on that list, Cortland Sutton, who's coming back from a knee injury. And, oh, yeah, tied for fourth, my guy Jamar Chase of the Bengals. Burrow and Chase, one of the best combinations in the league. Dallas beats New England in New England in overtime. And if you watch this game, it was clear the Cowboys were the better team than the Patriots. But the Cowboys, self-inflicted wounds, penalties, mistakes, Dak throws a pick. It was just not there. Mac Jones throws the big touchdown after Trayvon Diggs gets that pick six. Diggs is unreal. If you're old like me, you'll remember this name. Reminds me of Everson Walls. Everson Walls was a guy who just had a nose for the football and always seemed to be around the football. That's Diggs. 
He's now got seven interceptions on the year, two pick sixes. And if you were to do the Defensive Player of the Year award right now, to me it's Trayvon Diggs. And that's impressive. Dak Prescott had the most yards ever in a win against a Bill Belichick coach team. 445 yards, three touchdowns. He is playing excellent football. Got dinged a little bit at the end. They're on a bye this week. If he's okay the following week, this Cowboy team should be in really good position because the NFC East sucks. Washington's a joke. The Giants I talked about. Philly's a mess. The Cowboys should run that division, stack up wins, and there'll be a good chance they're hosting home playoff games. And you want to talk about hypocrisy. The NFL this year is all about cutting down on the taunting. We've seen a lot of penalties, a lot of things. C.D. Lamb scores the winning touchdown. Creates a meme by waving goodbye to the Patriot player who hit him a couple steps late in the end zone and pushed him out of bounds. It was a meme. It was funny. I actually was like, that's really funny. The NFL put that on their Twitter page. They eventually took it down. But so you're all about stopping taunting and one of the greatest taunts of the season you're putting on your Twitter page. It's like when they talked about player safety and continued to sell the NFL biggest hits video, which showed guys just getting crushed. Yeah, the NFL, all about player safety, all about doing things the right way, unless there's money to be made, and then they'll do whatever the hell they can. The Steelers, I mentioned, got a big win against Seattle. If Geno Smith is the quarterback you're playing against and you don't get a win, you're probably not a very good football team. Steelers on Sunday night get that win. T.J. Watt makes two plays, gets a sack, and then the strip. He is just a stud. Another player of the week honors for T.J. Watt right now. Other than Diggs, and, and only because he missed a couple games, maybe I'd have him above Diggs. He's the second-best defensive player in the league so far this year. And and if I'm starting a team, I'm taking T.J. Watt or Aaron Donald above anybody on that side of the ball. He's that good. So that was the week that was. Here's what I got to say about the national media. You get paid a bunch of money. If If you're on a national show, you get paid a bunch of money to do your prep work and go in and do something like I'm doing right now. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you're on a national show, you have a six-figure contract. It's it's that simple. If you host a national show, Chris Broussard of Fox Sports, formerly of ESPN, this blowhard who has not been accurate about anything but continues to get job after job, had... An unbelievable statement yesterday and explaining the Bills' loss. He did his research, obviously, and brought up the fact that Tyler Lewan was hurt during the game. The Bills' franchise left tackle, Taylor Lewan, was hurt. And because of that, and being replaced by 73 Dawkins, he didn't know who, D- who Deion Dawkins was, didn't know that. And because of that, Jeffrey Simmons was able to get to Josh Allen and prevent the Bills from getting the first down. That's almost as bad as the time Stephen A. Smith talked about how Hunter Henry was going to be a huge matchup problem. At the time, Hunter Henry was on IR and hadn't played all year. But these guys, it's just unbelievable to me. How do you go on a national show... And and look, everyone makes mistakes, and everyone who does this misspeaks. Those weren't misspeaks. They were, I didn't do any research. I don't know anything about the sport, but I'm going to sound like I do and talk with conviction and talk out my ass and do a bad job. It's just unbelievable. And look, I get it. When you sit in those chairs, you're asked to know everything. If you're a local honk, you're going to know everything about the team you cover. If you're a national host, you got to know everything about every team because that subject matter is going to come up. 
But the producer of the show is going to give you a heads up. This is what we're looking at for tomorrow. Do your damn research. You're getting paid a boatload of money. Don't embarrass yourself. Again, Chris Broussard, I, I, I take this out of his equation. Has he ever said anything that you went, oh, that's a really good point? And he's on a show with a jackass Nick Wright, who I used to think was entertaining, but his inability to see beyond the truth when it comes to his Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills takes away all credibility from the man. These shows where you sit there and you say the most outrageous thing and you want to say the most outrageous thing because that's what's going to get clicks is ridiculous. And I'll give Skip Bayless this. The most outrageous and biggest jackass of them all, he at least does his research. He puts in his time. His theories are stupid. His points are ridiculous. But he doesn't talk out his ass. And he doesn't talk about players without knowing what he's talking about first. You might not like what he says, and I never do like what he says, and I can't listen to him. But when's the last time you heard him talk about somebody from the wrong team? When's the last time you heard him talk about somebody who was on IR and he was going to be a factor? It's just know your stuff. Do your research. As somebody who got laid off from a radio show, it pisses me off that there are guys making tons of money who suck at their jobs. It's just a little bit of pettiness on my part, but it's true. Chris Broussard sucks at his job. Nobody cares. Just keep rolling. Keep the ball rolling. He'll he'll be talking about LeBron today and how bad Westbrook played. Yeah, the NBA opened last night. Might as well get to that. Kyrie Irving didn't play for the Nets. Well, why would he? He's just Kyrie. The NBA is the biggest sideshow league there is. All other sports, it's about what goes on in the field. In the NBA, the season nobody really cares about. I mean, today, you'll hear how bad Russell Westbrook was for the Lakers. They got beat by Golden State. You'll hear Steph Curry had his first triple-double since 2016. In Steph's words, he sucked last night, and he did. He wasn't good. If you watch the game... He was not good at all. He had a triple-double. But he was not good at all. The big difference for Golden State was they have a stretch four now, maybe it's a stretch five, that can shoot it and play a European import. They looked a little different. And if they get Clay Thompson back, they might be really good this year going forward. I mentioned Kyrie and the Nets. They go up against Giannis, and the Bucks get their rings. Giannis is really good. KD didn't have a great night. Nets are going to be fine. The Eastern Conference is a two-team conference, in my opinion. They played last night. We'll see where it goes from here. But the sideshow league comes in with the discussion of Kyrie and the vaccination and his inability to play because of the rules about vaccinations. And then there's Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is just an absolute joke. Look, I I remember watching a documentary that I think Showtime did on Ben Simmons. They followed him around for a year at LSU. And I couldn't think less of Ben Simmons as a person. I wouldn't have drafted him, frankly. Watching this documentary, if I had seen that, and I'm the GM of a team, and I had the number one overall pick, and he was the number one overall talent, No chance I'm taking him. No chance. He's petulant. He's immature. He's self-involved. And he just doesn't care about anything other than himself and getting paid. Those aren't the people you build around. Even if they're the most talented people. And he is an extremely talented player. Oh, he can't shoot. Yeah, he can't. But guess what? can do so many other things that he'll make your team better. Now everyone's talking about oh, trade Kyrie for Ben Simmons. No, that's headache for headache. Here's the trade you make if you're Philadelphia. Another bad organization is the Sacramento Kings. 
The Kings have announced that Marvin Bagley, real high draft pick a couple years ago out of Duke, is not going to be part of their rotation. Now, Bagley's representatives, knowing this, have been trying to get him traded out of Sacramento for the last year. The Kings have said they haven't gotten value in return, so that's why Bagley's still there. Well, gee, if you're not playing a guy, what's his value to your team? And if you're not playing a guy, why wouldn't you move him for a bag of balls? So at this point, why not move Marvin Bagley to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons? Ben Simmons got kicked out of practice yesterday by Doc Rivers because he didn't take part in a couple drills. Got suspended for tonight's opener. He had a cell phone in his sweats pocket. How disrespectful is that? You are out there as an NBA player making millions and millions of dollars. You got a cell phone in your pocket? Man, cut Ben Simmons, trade him to Sacramento, which is about the same as cutting him. Do whatever you want. Joel Embiid yesterday said, I'm done with this man. Good for you, Joel, because there's no way you can win with Ben Simmons. Send him to Sacramento, where they clearly don't care about winning. They clearly don't care about anything in Sacramento. It's just amazing that these are going to be the biggest stories in the NBA. And oh yeah, the other story is going to be the Lakers, whose average team age is 87 years old. They have a team bus that looks like one of those buses coming from a senior living center with the thing that lowers so they can all get their walkers off it. It's it's a bad roster, in my opinion, in L.A. They're not going to be there at the end. This is one last hope, bringing LeBron and his boys together to try and get them a ring. Anthony Davis actually played last night. I'm surprised he's not hurt. It's already been a whole game. I don't see it happening. And none of what I just said has anything to do with Russell Westbrook. The problem with Westbrook is that he and LeBron are ball dominant, and one of them is going to have to adjust their game. One of the best players ever, and LeBron James, is not going to adjust his game. That means Russell Westbrook has to adjust his game. How does he do that? I, I don't see him making the adjustment. It's a long season. There's a long way to go. I just didn't think these two guys playing together made sense to begin with. And seeing what little I saw last night, to me, very much a a work in progress and very much something that's not going to go well. Major League Baseball has been really good. Last night, yesterday, I should say, because one was in the afternoon, one was at night. Yeah, afternoon playoff baseball. Go figure. Love it. Get another one today. Last night, though, I thought the Braves had a chance to get to the World Series. They're up in the eighth inning over the Dodgers with a 2-0 lead. Chance to go up 3-0 against the best team in baseball. And they don't get it done. Cody Bellinger, a three-run home run in the eighth inning. And it was off Luke Johnson. Bellinger gets L.A. back tied up. They were down three. Ties it up. Mookie Betts delivers later with a double and scores the go-ahead run. Dodgers get a huge win. That one's 2-1. They got 20-game winner Julio Urias going tonight. The Braves, it's going to be likely a bullpen game. TBD, a huge, huge missed opportunity for the Braves last night. In my opinion, Must win tonight for the Braves if they're going to get to the World Series. In Boston last night, the Astros, we could hate them all we want. We could think of Jose Altuve as a cheater and Correa as a cheater and Bregman. That's a really good team, and it's been that way for a long time. And this feels like their last ride. Correa is a free agent, likely will be elsewhere. I'm guessing New York, one of the New Yorks, he'll play next year. He's very good. El Tuve's very good. But I thought Cora screwed up last night. In the ninth inning, after they tie it in the eighth, to it's a 2-2 game, brings in Nathan Evaldi for the ninth. Didn't love that decision, but Evaldi struggles. Gives up a run, 
bases loaded, two outs. I'm riding with my guy. I'm giving Evaldi one more hitter. But Martin Perez comes in, or Martin Perez comes in, in relief of Evaldi and just gets lit up. Look, the Red Sox don't have a bullpen. It's really bad back there. But if you're using one of your starters, you got to let them get through the inning. And they didn't, and it cost them. They give up seven in the ninth. Now, again, instead of being up 3-1 against Houston, it's 2-2. And tonight, Chris Sale is on the hill against Valdez. Chris Sale has not been good this postseason. My theory with Sale, who came back late in the season from Tommy John, I think he's going through a bit of a dead arm period. One of these starts, he's going to come out and be very good. It's just a matter of how is that arm feeling. Max Scherzer of the Dodgers actually talked about that, that he's going through a bit of a dead arm period. It happens periodically when you pitch as many innings as these guys do or you're just getting ramped up. And I think sales just getting ramped up. So interesting to see how that will work out. But the baseball has been really good. If you get a chance, check that out today. Lastly, how about them Buffalo Sabres? Just like I told you, 3-0. and Who thought it? Now, first off, how do the Sabres have four games at home to start the season? That's unbelievable that they have that. Secondly, they haven't really played anybody except for last night. They played Vancouver, and they beat Vancouver 5-2. to Very good third period last night to get the win. I last week predicted there'd be less than 12,000 people for the home opener. Man, was I wrong. The home opener had 8,400 people. After the home opener, the person who leads the world in not being able to say the right things, Kim Pagula, sent out a tweet thanking the fans that were there for their support. Really? Game one and you're already pissing off your fans, Kim? Man, she just can't help herself. Shut the hell up. You had fans that came out that were very vocal. You had a big win over Montreal. Everything's great. And you send out that tweet for the ones that were there. You know what that means? Screw you if you weren't. That's exactly what that means. Passive-aggressive, horrible tweet by a horrible owner. But the fact that the Sabres had 8,400, that might be like the season high. They had 7,800 against Arizona. Now, Arizona's a bad team. So, yes, they go to 2-0 there. But 7,800. And then last night against Vancouver, 7,300. But Friday night, Boston. I predict 9,000 people will be there. 9,000. What's crazy is if you look at the game, if you've watched any of the games, and you look at the crowd, and I say crowd because I don't know how to say the people, apparently the people would be better because you see like sections with like 10 people in it. You know what it reminds me of? Honestly, it reminds me of an Amherst game on like a Wednesday night. You go to an Amherst game and there's like 2,800 people in the building, a building that seats like 11,000. Yeah. Not good. Not good at all. It's just embarrassing. But then again, Sabre hockey has been embarrassing for a long time. But say this about Granado and his boys. He's got them playing hard. They're doing the right things. It's an exciting brand of hockey. I don't I still don't think they're very good. I don't think ultimately they'll be a playoff team, but it just shows what a horrific hire it was to have Ralph Kruger come in. You know, he was he was literally Ted Lasso. He was a soccer coach who came over and coached hockey. It was a disastrous situation. Granado's there, a lot of guys not there. They still gotta figure out the Eichel thing. But I'm happy for the players that are out there grinding it. Because, look, organizations can suck and not try to win. And that's what the Sabres have done for the last 11 years. But the players on the ice are giving everything they got. So I'm happy for those guys. Guys like Kyle Pozo and Joel Skinner. Those guys are playing hard. 
and they're trying, and I give them credit. Even Craig Anderson, he's 40 years old in goal. He's not good. He's not young, but he's out there working. So good for them. Glad it's going well. And, oh, Kim Pagula, if you're listening, and I know you do, don't say anything. You finally got it going right. Shut the hell up and enjoy it. Please. That's all for this week. Have a great week. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.